Welcome to 2020 Vision, brought to you by WNYU. Uh, this is your host, Arya Tusi, and uh, Miliana's not with us today, but instead we have a guest host. Aiden, could you introduce yourself? My name is Aiden Hoffman. I'm from Brookville, Pennsylvania, and I am a senior studying politics here at NYU. So, it was a wild week. So as usual, we're going to start with the headlines uh, from this week. So uh, Elijah Cummings, the former head of House Oversight and Reform Committee leading the impeachment probe, uh, has passed away this week. Pour one out for him, I guess. It would take us way more than an episode to talk about everything he's done. But uh, you can find it on Wikipedia. Hillary Clinton made a statement about Tulsi Gabbard and Jill Stein, basically saying that they were they were Russian assets meant to destabilize the Democratic Party. And... Um, so I haven't seen an astronomical amount about this. I did wake up this morning and see hashtag I am Tulsi trending on Twitter and a bunch of people coming to her defense. But I think that this whole Russian asset uh, claim is definitely one that is destabilizing to a lot of Democratic candidates. Obviously, there's a negative history about Russians in elections, particularly the most recent one. And so I think it's definitely uh, going to be something that she's going to have to move past if she wants to have a chance or any real chance at this election. You think it's going to stick to Tulsi? I do think that she's definitely going to have difficulty moving past it, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I was um, thinking more of the angle of, I think it's a problem that a former Democratic candidate, I mean, so Clinton, you know, has a lot of sway in the party. She's been a member, she's been yeah. a prominent member for a very long time, that a prominent member of the Democratic Party can go on a podcast, basically make an unfounded accusation towards another candidate, and everyone seems to be fine with it. And the fact that it, that you think it's going to stick to her, I think it's going to stick to her too. The fact that it's going to stick, I think, means that people think there's some validity to it. Yeah, I... Because because she has been vocally supportive of Syria and Russia in the past. Yeah, I so I don't... I'm not making the claim that the accusation has validity. All I'm saying is I do think, like you said, that the weight that Hillary Clinton has within the Democratic Party is certainly strong enough that claims made by upper echelon Democrats such as herself are definitely going to be damaging to the campaigns of individuals. Especially someone who's more of an outsider candidate like Gabbard. Moving on. Uh, After the debate on Tuesday, um, despite Bernie's shaky performance during it, he got some significant support, especially for the more progressive side of the Democratic Party. Um, Representatives Ilhan Omar, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and uh, Rashida Tlaib all publicly endorsed him for president. I wouldn't say that this is especially surprising. Their similarities to him on a policy standpoint, definitely their endorsement of him makes sense. It's only a matter of time, but I think it's quite early in the primary for members of Congress. As far as I'm aware, no other member of Congress has endorsed any candidate so far. I'm not aware of it. They would be the first ones. So speaking of endorsements, Joe Biden landed 51 endorsements from uh, Massachusetts politicians, which is Elizabeth Warren's home state. I think that's significant. Um, According to the Boston Herald, there were state senators, state representatives, city councilors, and school committee members, which are obviously they're more significant in the state of Massachusetts than they are nationally. But why do you think... Why do you think they went for uh, for Biden instead of Warren? I'd imagine that they did so because they are dif- they disagree with Senator Warren's policy standpoints in relation to 
uh, Vice President Biden's. But I think it's definitely going to be more interesting to see how the bigger name politicians, where they fall as the primary season really kicks off and states start voting. I think that once that starts to roll in, that's whenever the bigger names are going to come in and that's whenever it's going to be more important. Right. Because Massachusetts is a Super Tuesday state. And despite the fact that Warren is from that state, I wouldn't call it a, a sure thing for her. Um, even though nationally it tends to go Democrat, I wouldn't call it a progressive state. That's an interesting They're pretty state. centrist, I think. I, I think so, too. But I would I personally will be very surprised if they don't go to Warren. Yeah. I still think she has an advantage. Yeah. So before we get into the actual meat of this episode, which is the debate, in non-political headlines, we had uh, the first all-female spacewalk from uh, NASA astronauts Jessica Meir and Christina Koch. Um, they made history this week. Yeah, good for them. Yeah, absolutely so, incredible. <laughs> but, um, I mean, watching this, I never, uh, spacewalking is something that's, like, really sick, but it's mm -hmm. just really boring to watch. It literally is just movement. Yeah, and I think that like sci-fi movies have definitely dramatized yes, the idea of yes. the spacewalk in our heads, but it's still, I imagine I'm, it's far I more exciting it be, for those in the suit. Right, I imagine it would be way cooler if I was actually doing it. <laughs> to know it. that one tether is all between you and certain death. That's right, right. Far more right. exciting than watching it on a computer screen mm -hmm. from your living room. <laughs> so uh, let's move on to the debate. Um before we get into any particular candidates, we're going to talk about the debate in general. I was apprehensive about there being 12 people on the stage, but I thought this was actually the best moderated debate we've seen yet. The moderators were not afraid to tell people to shut up. They were not afraid to silence people's microphones when they were speaking out of turn. Uh, and I thought it was very well managed overall. I would agree with that uh, assessment. I definitely noticed the lack of disorganization that was present in some of the other debates. The whole debate wasn't people screaming at each other and talking over each other and talking over time. And while there was, there were, I did see, especially on Twitter, a bunch of people that were up in arms about the time distributions, about who was getting questions and who was talking. I didn't find it astronomically disproportionate to polling. So I do think that it was well run. One of the issues I did have with the debate was the the distribution of time for questions. They spent an inordinate amount of time talking about tax policy and none of this tax policy is going to get passed because it's going to go through Congress. None of it's going to happen. But they spent that much time talking about that and they asked a question about what was your weirdest friendship, but they didn't ask a single question about climate change or immigration. And with the last debate, I tried to justify them not asking a question about climate change because CNN had just done the climate change town hall and they had gotten a lot of you know, discussion about climate change, but that's not the case this time. I mean, I think it's the most important issue that we have to deal with. And I think a lot of Democrats would agree. Yep. So for a Democratic debate, I think it's important that we see what the candidates have to say about it. And uh, we didn't. Yeah, I'm not really sure what goes into there, deciding which questions and then importantly, which questions to focus on time wise. I did think that the questions that they asked in this debate, definitely they led to more actual debate between the candidates mm -hmm. climate change i agree is probably the most important issue that these candidates will have to address however a lot of them have very similar policies and That's whatever true. so in i noticed in this debate there tended to be a lot more disagreement in how candidates were responding that might be in part due to how more moderate candidates like mayor Buttigieg and senator klobuchar were going on the offensive 
um, in relation to how they have been acting previously. Mm -hmm. Um, But I did notice the divide between differences in policy standpoints was more prevalent in this debate than it was in previous ones. I think that's a good point because we did have a lot of back and forth going on and some really just brutal attacks from certain candidates. Um, For example, when uh, Elizabeth Warren was going after Senator Harris's donors, she was just shook because it was an excellent point. Her donors are are problematic. (laughs) And Harris has not been doing well in the polls. That aside, even just the perception is detrimental to her, I think. Speaking of brutal attacks, that weird exchange between Biden and Warren was her going after his entire debate strategy, which is pretty much, you know, talking about what he's accomplished in the past and using that as uh, basically like a resume. But then she undermined herself when she thanked Obama for helping her get her policy through. And I mean, you know, Joe Biden was his vice president. And then Joe Biden said that he got the votes for it. And then she was shell-shocked. She didn't know what to say. I don't know how you could bring that up and not expect that kind of response from him. I don't know that that necessarily undermined her performance. I think that she... She definitely looked like she was undermined. She definitely... She looked... But she looked like she was surprised that he brought that up. I think the first couple seconds after his response, whenever he said, I got you votes for that bill, I think you could see in that moment more clearly a candidate thinking carefully about the response yes. than you have seen in the entire primary season. Because that response far. sounded like it took 20 minutes. Yeah, it did. <laughs> but it also was very well... I think that she responded in about as well of a way as she could. Mm-hmm. Um I think it was a very politician answer. Yes, yes. She acknowledged um, the support that she had from uh, President Obama, but Vice President Biden may have made a mistake in calling out that I got you votes because everyone's response wasn't, oh, that's part of Biden's accomplishments. It was, oh, Biden is trying to take the accomplishments of a woman away. And so I do think that that could be detrimental to his campaign. I mean, she could have not responded, but I think that that would have made her look worse. Than Especially when you're on the spot like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, besides that conversation, Biden had was particularly not noteworthy. I mean, he, he definitely did better, I think, in this one than he has before. But it was clear that Warren was the candidate to beat. Well, that's who everyone Tuesday. was attacking. Right. Everyone yeah. was attacking her. She talked by far the most. It felt like she was always on the defensive. That's something that she's going to have to get used to right. and be able to combat if she hopes to hold the front runner position right. going into the primary season. Because she doesn't. She didn't look like she was ready for it. She's definitely on the up. Yeah. Um, as all polls are showing, slow and steady. But she's going to have to face more and more criticism, especially as people turn from attacking. Uh, Biden, who is still ahead in national polls. Let's talk about Steyer, as we brought him up last week on our first episode. So after all the effort that he had to do to get on this debate stage, he was incredibly underwhelming. And there's only so much you can do when there's 11 other people on the stage. But he, he basically stuck to two things. It was his stump speech, which I'll get to in a second, and talking about electability, where he did have a good point of that Trump's going to run for re-election on the economy because it is a very strong economy that we have, and he's going to use that to his advantage as much as possible. As we've seen in the past, it's very hard for an incumbent president to be voted out of office with a strong economy. But back to Steyer's stump speech, it's basically his main point is that there's too much corporate influence in American politics, which is a very valid point. But he's a corporate billionaire. Yeah. So it seems to me, 
like the reason why he's focusing so much on that aspect of his messaging is that he wants to preempt the criticism of him as a as a corporate democrat well he absolutely has to if right. he wants to compete alongside candidates like bernie sanders and elizabeth warren whose messaging is very much we need an economy that works for everyone right. not an economy that works for the few wealthy people he's not going to be able to run on look i've done it look i'm successful no i'm proof that he, doesn't resonate he, with democratic voters no and i think that we saw he used his time as the lone billionaire on the stage to trash billionaires almost as much as candidates like Sanders and Warren. Right. He, he seemed concentrated on they're the problem. We have to get companies out of politics. We have to take back our system. And so I think that if he hopes to improve, he's going to have to cross that barrier and keep on pushing that message and hope it sticks. I think I think um, one little just like a side note, a little fun fact. Uh, it's not very fun, actually, but it's a fact. If you combine the net worth of all 12 candidates on the stage, including Steyer, it would not add up to Trump's net worth. Trump still has more money than all of them combined. I'm not talking about like campaign. I'm talking about personal wealth. We're going to wrap with polls as we do normally. Um, as we mentioned last week, we're going to be using the Real Clear Politics average. This is where we stand as of Saturday, the 19th. Joe Biden, 29.2% almost six point jump after the debate this is very surprising i thought he did okay at the debate not not amazing but i think because what we saw last week he dipped a lot because of the whole hunter biden and ukraine mm -hmm. stuff and people are forgetting about that now because the news cycle moves so fast mm -hmm. warren sitting at 23.4 percent took a decent little hit after the debate sanders at 15.2 pretty much staying the same and then you know that huge gap Buttigieg at 5.8, Harris at 5.4, O'Rourke at 2.6, Yang at 2.2, Klobuchar at 2, Booker at 1.6, 1.6 for Steyer as well, Gabbard at 1.2. O'Rourke and Yang and Booker, they got to look out because the next debate, the polling threshold is 5%, not 2. Same with Steyer. I mean, Steyer got onto the debate stage, but he did it through a massive ad campaign he push. He spent so much he money. He spent more money than any other candidate, and he just barely made it. According to the LA Times, Tom Steyer spent $47 million in a little less than three months, uh, which is vastly more than any other candidate. Tom Steyer spoke the least in the debate at a little over 1,300 words, and that means he spent, wow. $36,000 per word. Wow. I know I said it about Yang before, but what a loser. <laughs> oh, my God. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have today. You've been listening to 2020 Vision. Tune in next week uh, and stay tuned right now if you're listening to the .org stream for Line to Line to hear two dudes talk about hockey and football. For WNYU, this has been Arya Tusi and I'm Aiden Hoffman. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Thank you for having me.